Section 20 of A Woman's Way Through Unknown Labrador by Mina Benson Hubbard. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Narrative by George Olson, Part 1. Last Days Together. Friday, October 9th. We got up good and early. Only tea we had, expecting when we got to our rapid to have something to eat. After going about two miles, we came to our old camp where we camped on our way up, where we had a goose that Mr. Hubbard had killed. I also had killed one. We went ashore to see if we could find some of the old bones. We gathered all we could find and ate them all. Mr. Hubbard said, I often have seen dogs eating bones and thought it was pretty hard lines for them, but it must be only fun for them. Before coming to our rapid, the rapid we had always talked about where we thought we could get lots of fish, I told Mr. Hubbard and Wallace my dream I had that night. It did not seem like a dream, but more like someone talking to me. When traveling this summer when we began to be out of grub, if we dreamt of having a good meal at some restaurant, we often told it to each other next morning. This morning my dream was, a man came to me and told me, you will get to the rapids today and I cannot spare you more than two or three meals of fish, and do not waste much time there. Go right on and don't leave the river, but follow the river on. It is the only way you can save your lives. Follow the river down. We got to the rapid about noon, all feeling very, very weak. I started a fire. By the time I got some wood and had my fire started, they had already enough fish for a pretty fair meal, and of course you can imagine how glad we were, and did not delay much time but got our fish for lunch. It was nice to have something to eat again. We were pretty sure of getting lots more. After lunch, Mr. Hubbard and Wallace fished. It was good signs of caribou round there. I took the rifle and tracked up the caribou, but I saw nothing. It was late when I got back. The boys were still fishing. They had caught about sixty more little trout. We felt as if we could eat all those fish in one meal, but seeing they were so scarce, we had to try and save some for the next day. Saturday, October 10th. We fished all before noon and did not get any at all. So we had to start off from there, seeing it was no use trying to fish any more. We came to some more rapids in the afternoon. Wallace and I ran some with empty canoe and then went back for our dunnage, while Mr. Hubbard would fish. It got very cold in the afternoon. Mr. Hubbard caught about twenty little trout. Looking forward, we hoped next day to get to our old camp, Camp Caribou, where we killed our caribou August 12th. We thought that maybe we will find some of the old bones so as to make some broth, thinking it would help us some. We camped just near the river where we could get lots of wood, and have a good campfire so we could sit beside the campfire and have a good talk about home. Mr. Hubbard tells me he will get a room for me in New York. He again that night asked me to stay with him a couple of months in Congress before I go home to Missinabi, and also to pay him a visit real often, and also that he would never go out doing any traveling without me. He said, I am sure Mrs. Hubbard will not be able to do enough for you, especially when she knows how good you have been to me. I would like to have you come with me to Michigan. I am sure my sister would like to have you tell them the story about our trip. Sunday, October 11th. Had four small trout for lunch, only a little larger than a sardine. Late in the evening we came to our old camp where we had the caribou. Most of the bones were carried off by some animals. Picked up all we could find and made some broth, and very, very strong broth, too, which I suppose no one could hardly believe that any human being could eat. The bones were full of maggots, and when it boiled for some time the maggots would boil out. It just looked as if it had been little rice in it. We drunk it up maggots and all. It was pretty high, but found it good. Nothing was too bad for us to eat. Monday, October 12th. Fine day. In the morning we had bone broth again at tea. We started off again carrying all the bones we could find in our pail, also taking the caribou horns with us. At noon we had broth and a piece of the hide we got off from the caribou horns. In the evening we came to a rapid. Hubbard and I nearly swamped the canoe, and part of the rapid was too rough to run. It was only just a short lift over, about 100 feet. The three of us took the canoe, and before getting over we dropped it. We were getting so weak that it took the three of us to carry the canoe, and yet we couldn't even that distance. 
We looked at each other, but none complained of his weakness. We found we could not go any farther without something to eat. We ate one of Mr. Hubbard's old moccasins, made out of caribou skin, that he made himself. We boiled it in the frying pan, till it got kind of soft, and we shared in three parts. Each had his share and found it good, and also drank up the water where it was boiled in. At night we had some tea, and it freshened us up some. Tuesday, October 13th, wind raw and cold. We came to a little fall we had to carry over, quite short, about forty feet portage. But our canoe we hadn't the strength to carry. We had to drag it over the rocks. I shot a whiskey jack, and we had it along with our bone broth and tea. Not knowing what our next meal would be, or whether we will ever have the pleasure of enjoying another meal, it looked very much like starvation. My back was aching quite a bit that day. A touch of lumbago. It made things worse for me. I thought it would be impossible for me to try and go any farther, so I told Mr. Hubbard that if I did not feel any better in the morning, they could go on and try to make their way out and leave me behind, because I did not want to delay them in the least. For all, I was sure they would never make their way out, but I thought they might try anyway. Mr. Hubbard was very, very sorry about it, but he said he hoped I'd be better in the morning. Wednesday, October 14th. Boys were up before me and had a fire on. It was some time before I could get up, but I was feeling better than I did the night before. Before noon, I shot a duck with the rifle. We were very happy boys. At noon we came to the place where we had planned some time ago to leave the canoe and cross over to the Nascopi again. We had our nice duck for lunch and enjoyed it very much. Mr. Hubbard then asked me if I could find the flower we had thrown away some time in July, along the Nascopi. Yes, I said, if no animal has carried it away. It is over twenty miles from here. Then he said, I think we better leave the canoe and march over to the Nascopi. And the reason why I did not try and persuade him more than I did for us not to leave the big river was, we thought perhaps there would be lots of places where we could not run our canoe in some wild rapids, and would have to carry our canoe. I knew the last two days how we were when trying to carry our canoe, and we also thought that if we were traveling through the bush we would surely come across some partridges and help us to the flour, and the flour would help us to the lard, about three pounds, and some milk and coffee three miles from Grand Lake. Also, as we only know the river above there, of course, we did not know where the river ran to. The boys thought it ran out to Goose Bay, as Lowe's map showed only the one river running into Grand Lake. Also at Rigolette, trying to find out all we could, and at Northwest River, too, nobody ever said about any river but the Nascopi. Still, I said it might run out into Grand Lake. So the canoe, one axe, the sextant box, and the rest of the caribou horns we left, but the bones we carried with us in our pail, which we boiled over and over to make broth. The bones, since we had them, we would scorch in the fire at night, and chew away at them. It was pretty hard chewing. I told the boys when we decided to leave the canoe that we had better leave everything we have, so we would make better time, but we didn't want to waste any time after our nice duck, but go right on while we have yet some strength from it. So we didn't wait to overhaul our stuff. We traveled two miles from the big river that afternoon. We found our packs too heavy to carry, and decided to lighten up in the morning. That evening Mr. Hubbard said, Mrs. Hubbard this evening will be now at dinner, and after her meal will finish with a lot more on the table. Oh, if she could only hand me a piece of bread. Thursday morning, October 15th. We threw away lots of dunnage, also some films and one rifle. Mr. Hubbard was very sorry to leave his flask. He had often spoken of it being a present from Mrs. Hubbard. I shot three partridges afternoon with the pistol. We were so glad. Mr. Hubbard was more than glad. He came and shook hands with me. We were trying to reach our old camping place on our way up. Goose camp, we called it. But we were all feeling so very weak, especially Mr. Hubbard. At last he could not go any farther. I told him it was about forty yards to where our old camp was. So we made him leave his load and he followed us. I, with the greatest hurry, started a fire and made him a cup of tea. We, as usual, sat up near our fire for some time, trying to encourage each other about what good things we would have after we got to New York. Friday, October 16th. For breakfast we ate one partridge, leaving the other for lunch. Threw more things away, one blanket and more films, and at noon more things left behind. 
I had a good suit of underwear with me, saving it till cold weather, but that day at noon I left everything belonging to me. I was too weak to take off the bad and put on the good. Also left some films and came to the Nascapi. That day just before noon we came to a place where Mr. Hubbard had caught some fish when we were going up, and we thought that perhaps we could get some fish there again, but the little stream was nearly dry. We sat down and had a rest. A little lake about four hundred yards from us on our way. This little stream ran into the lake. Just near the lake I saw a caribou coming along, following this little river to where we were. I told the boys, there's a caribou coming along. We all fell flat on the ground, but he was on the lee side of us and soon found out we were there. He stood behind some little trees and had his head up looking towards where we were, and all of a sudden he was gone, and we didn't have the chance to fire. A swamp I knew of. I made for that swamp thinking I would cut across him. I tried to run, yet I was so very, very weak. Oh, how hard I tried to run. But when I got out there, he was across on the other side. I was away for some time, yet when I came to the boys, they were still laying the same way and their faces to the ground, and did not move till I spoke to them. We were more than sorry about the caribou, and each one said what he would do, and how much he could eat if we killed that caribou, and that we would stay right there for a few days till we got a little stronger. Though I was feeling so very weak myself, when we would have nothing else but tea, as we often had just tea, nothing else, when I would hand the boys a cup of tea each, I would ask them to pass it back, as I would pretend I'd forgotten to put any sugar in. They would pretend they didn't care for sugar and refused to have some. Then I would ask them if they would have some bread or some pie. Mr. Hubbard would say, Pie? What is pie? What do they use it for? Do they eat it? This I did often to encourage them and myself, that we might forget the danger ahead, but it was something impossible to forget, as the hunger and weakness pained us, and I thought we would not be able to go many more days if we don't succeed in killing anything. That evening we hadn't the strength of chopping our wood, just gathered the small dry pieces we found near our camp. We also put up our camp in an easy way, we thought. Three little poles were required to keep up our tent. They were quite handy, but it took me some time before I could cut them down. That day at noon when I left my dunnage bag with lots of films in it and hung the bag on a short stump, Mr. Hubbard told me, If we get out safe to Northwest River, I think you or I might stay there this winter and try and get some of the things we are leaving, especially the films. If we could get out in time with the last trip of the Virginia Lake, Wallace and you could go home. Or if you would stay, Wallace and I could go home. I told him I would be very much in a hurry to go home and wouldn't wish to stay out here for the winter. But if you wish and rather have me stay, I will stay for the winter and try to get the things out for you. He was so glad about it and said, it will be better, of course, if you would stay, as you could make a better guess for the things than I would. Saturday, October 17th. We followed the river, and without anything to eat all day. Only tea we had. Sometimes we would be completely done out. Then we would make some tea and help us, and start on again. This we kept on doing all day. That evening we came to the junction of the river where it branches off. About half an hour before we came to the branch we had to fire, as Mr. Hubbard was feeling cold and chilly all day. Just at the forks we found a few red berries, and to see if I could find some more, I just went about twenty yards from them. When I found none and returned to see them, Mr. Hubbard was lying down on the damp rocks and moss. He looked so pitiful and Wallace sitting near him. I told him not to lie on the damp moss, and asked him if I'd better make him a cup of tea. Yes, he said. I think if I had a cup of hot tea I'd feel better and then go on again. He could hardly speak. I knew he was very weak. I asked him if he could get to where we camped before going up, where it was nice and dry, about twenty yards. He said he would try. I took his and my pack, and he followed us. He could just barely walk. We made him a place near the fire and gave him a cup of hot tea, and made him a cup of pea meal. We put the camp up the best way we could and gathered enough wood to last all night. The flower we were coming for was yet ten miles away, and the advance in covering so many miles each day became less and less each day. So after we had some tea and bone broth, I thought, seeing it was no use trying to keep it to ourselves any longer, the danger before us, I would tell them what was in my mind, not about restaurants this time, before it was too late. 
seeing that death was just near, which anyone else, if in our place, would expect nothing else but death, they were quite satisfied and each did the same. Mr. Hubbard talked about Mrs. Hubbard and his father and mother, and his brother and sister, but most about Mrs. Hubbard. Wallace talked of his sisters, and I did the same, especially my youngest brother, as my father and mother died some years ago, and he was left under my care. It was quite a different talk beside the other night's talk, as we never let a night pass without being talking about good restaurants, and what we would do when we got home. About ten miles from there the flower was we were looking forward to, so I told Mr. Hubbard to see what he would think. If he couldn't really have the strength of going any farther, that Wallace and I would try and go and find the flower, and if we found it, one would return and bring some of the flower to him, and the other would try and make his way out to Northwest River, as it is nearly eighty miles to Northwest River Post, and maybe I might come across some trappers and be able to help him. He at first said it was no use of trying, as he knew how weak we were, and that we would only be scattered abroad. Should a relief party be sent out to look for us, they will find us here in our camp, but if you wish to try, all right. You are more than trying to save me. I never came across a man so brave as you are. Still, I may feel better in the morning, and I will not carry anything. Now I see that you were right when we left the canoe. You wanted to leave everything and go out light. If you get to the flower, you must take most of the flower, and Wallace will bring the rest. As we will be staying in one place, we will not require as much as you will, because if you fail on the way, it will mean sure death to us, too. And if you happen to come on some trappers, just send them with grub, and don't come up yourself as you will be too weak. Or if you get to Northwest River, Mr. Mackenzie will find men to send, and you will stay there. If I should starve and you get out, Mr. Mackenzie will help you in all you need, and will keep you there this winter. By the first boat you will go to New York, and my diary don't give to anyone but to Mrs. Hubbard. Tell her how things happened, and that I don't suffer now as I did at first, only so very, very weak, and I think starvation is an easy death to die. I wish you could only see my father and mother, or my sister, so as to tell them about our trip. I wish I could tell them how good you were to me, but you must go to Mrs. Hubbard. I am sorry, boys. It is my work the reason why you are out here. If I did not come out here, you would have been at your home, and having all that you need, and would not meet death so soon. I told him not to be troubled by that. If we didn't want to come, we would have stayed at home, so don't put the blame on yourself. He also told Wallace, if he got out, to write the story for Mrs. Hubbard. Mr. Hubbard was very sleepy, so we did not sit up so long as we have done before. Mr. Wallace read three chapters to us. Mr. Hubbard chose 13th chapter 1 Corinthians, and I the 17th chapter St. John's Gospel, and Mr. Wallace 14th chapter St. John. Mr. Hubbard fell asleep when Mr. Wallace was nearly through reading the second chapter, that is, the seventeenth chapter. Mr. Hubbard slept good all night, and hardly ever moved till morning, when I wakened him and gave him a cup of hot tea and some bone broth. I also slept good all night, and didn't hardly wake up till just before daylight. Mr. Wallace kept on a fire all night, and wrote a farewell letter to his sisters. Sunday morning, October 18th, I got up and boiled those bones again, putting in just a little of the pea meal and the broth, and also tea we had for breakfast. We had yet a half pound of the pea meal that we had carried for some time. We were to start early, and seeing Mr. Hubbard still weaker than he was last night, and was not able to go any farther, it was late when we started. We were so sorry to part, and almost discouraged to try and go any farther, but we thought we would try our best anyway to help him. We were only going to take a cup each and a little tea pail, no blanket, found too weak to carry anything, but Mr. Hubbard made us take a part of a blanket each. We only had two pair blankets. My blanket I had left behind a few days ago. So Mr. Hubbard told Mr. Wallace, If you don't want to tear your blankets, you can tear my blankets in half, and each have a piece. It will be only one and a half pound each to carry. Then I can use your blankets while you're away. Then we tore Mr. Hubbard's blankets, and Wallace and I each took a piece. Also he made us take the rest of the pea meal and a little tea. We left him little tea and the bones and piece of flour bag we found, with little moldy lumps of flour sticking to the bag, and the neighbor of the other moccasin we had eaten. Mr. Hubbard said, After you go, I will do some writing, and will write a letter to Mrs. Hubbard. 
Mr. Hubbard took his pistol off from his belt and gave me to take along. He also handed me his knife and told me to leave the crooked knife I had to him. I didn't want to take his pistol. I was thinking about a pistol, too. I thought when Wallace and I parted I could ask him for his pistol. But Mr. Hubbard told me, You must take the pistol. The rifle will be here, and I can use the rifle if I have anything to shoot. You must take the pistol. So I took the pistol, but the knife I did not take. Just before starting, Mr. Wallace says that he is going to read a chapter before starting. Mr. Hubbard asked him to read the thirteenth chapter of First Corinthians, and so he did. It was time to start. Mr. Wallace went to Mr. Hubbard and said, Goodbye, I'll try and come back soon. Then I went to him and tried to be as brave as Wallace. When I took his hand, he said, God bless you, George, and held my hand for some time. I said, The Lord help us, Hubbard. With his help I save you if I can get out. Then I cried like a child. Hubbard said, If it was your father, George, you couldn't try harder to save. Wallace came back to Hubbard again and cried like a child and kissed him, and again I went to him and kissed him and he kissed me and said, The Lord help you, George. He was then so weak that he could hardly speak. We came away, trying to get help. When we left Mr. Hubbard an east and raw wind was blowing, and soon rain began, and heavy rain all way, and were soaked to the skin, and made poor time. We followed the river as it ran out into Grand Lake. The least thing we tripped on we would fall, and it would be some time before we could get up, or we went too near a tree that a branch would catch on us, would pull us down. At dark we stopped for the night. The trees were very small, and we couldn't get any shelter at all, and hard to get wood with no axe. We pulled together some half-rotten, lane trees. Our fire wouldn't burn hardly, and couldn't dry our things, and had to sit up all night with wet clothes on, near our fire, or rather near our smoke, as the wood being too rotten that it wouldn't burn. About two o'clock the wind turned westward, the rain ceased, but it began to snow very hard. The night was long, and my mind on Hubbard all the time, could not forget him. In the morning, Monday, October 19th, the snow nearly up to our knees. We started early. Our eyes were quite dim with the smoke, and everything looked blue. It troubled us all day. Before noon I tracked up a partridge. Oh, how I wished to get him. I came to the place where he had flown away and hunted for him quite a while. At last he flew off. I was just near him and yet did not see him about four feet over my head, but I saw where he perched. I didn't want to go too near him for fear he might fly away before I could shoot him. I was so particular. I rested my pistol on a tree to make a sure shot and took a good aim, but only scraped him, and he nearly fell too, but after all got off. I cannot tell how sorry I was, and about noon we had to cross this river because the flower was on the opposite side. It was quite a rapid, and I knew further down that we could not get across. As I remembered from this rapid to where the flower is, it was deep. So we went into the cold icy water up to our waists. We got across and made a fire, and had a cup of tea. It was yet a long way from the flower. We started off as soon as we could. It cleared up in the afternoon, and only drifting and freezing very hard, was getting colder and colder towards evening. Mr. Wallace I knew was near his finish, but I would not say or ask him about it. I thought I would scare him, and he would scare me too if he told me he could not go any further. I was getting so very, very weak myself. The sun was getting low, and I could yet walk lots faster than Wallace, and had to stand and wait for him very often, though I could hardly walk myself. I thought this was my last day that I could walk. If I don't come to the flower this evening, I fear I will not be able to walk in the morning, and if I get to where the flower is, and the mice or some animal has carried it off, it will surely mean death. And besides, I wanted to know very, very much if the flower was there. Just near dusk, Mr. Wallace was so much behind, I thought I would tell him to follow my trail, and he could come along behind, and I would try and get to the flower before dark. I stayed and waited till he came near. He asked me, How far yet to the flower? About two miles, I said. Well, I think you'd better go along and not wait for me any more. I will try and follow your trail. You go lots faster than I do. Go on while it is yet light, and see if you can find the flower, because if you cannot get there tonight, maybe you will not be able to go any farther should we live to see morning. I said, Yes, that is just what I was going to tell you, the reason why I waited here for you. I started off. 
I went about forty yards, came across a partridge. I got my pistol and fired and killed him. Oh, how glad I was. Mr. Wallace came to me. He was more than glad, and just ate part of him raw, which freshened us up a great deal. Then he said, You can go on again and don't delay on me. I came on some caribou trail. It was then getting dark, and quite fresh, which run in all directions. I stood and thought, when Wallace comes here he will not know my trail from the caribou trail, and if he cannot come to me tonight, if you follow the caribou trail, I might lead him out of the way altogether, and if it snows again tonight I might not be able to find him in the morning. So I stayed till he came and told him why I waited for him. He was glad and said sure he would know my trail from the caribou, which would perhaps lead him out of the way. So we sat down and ate some more of the partridge raw. Mr. Wallace says, I just fancy that I never ate something so good in my life. We could have camped right there where I killed the partridge, as we would have something for our supper, but what I wanted to find out, too, was, is the flower there, I wonder. If we did not get there, it would be in my mind all the time. I wonder if the flower is there. It got dark, and we still traveled. Wallace would often ask me, How far is it from here to the flower? How far is it to the flower? At last I knew we were coming to it. We had not a mark, or never put it at some particular place, but we have just thrown it away. Anyway, we thought we would never come past there again. It was late in the night when we came to the flower. I was not very sure of it myself. I put down my little load. Wallace said, Is this the place? I said, Yes. So I went to where I thought we had left the flower. I dug down into the snow and just came on it. It was, of course, in one solid lump and black with mold. We got our knife and broke it off in bits and ate quite a bit. We were just about played out when we came to the flower. If I hadn't killed the partridge, we would never have got to the flower. We gathered some wood and made a fire. No trees at all so as to break the wind. All barren, the wind sharp, and clear night. We gathered enough wood for the night, and had the rest of the partridge, and also some flour soup and a little tea pail, and only wishing Mr. Hubbard was there to enjoy the meal, too. We thought and talked about Mr. Hubbard all the time, although at the same time having poor hopes of him. Mr. Wallace nearly blind and suffering with his eyes. I sat up all night and kept on a fire. I was very uneasy about Wallace and afraid he would not be able to go back to Mr. Hubbard with the flour, but in the morning he was better, and we did some patching on our old moccasins. We had some flour soup. Last night I did not notice in the dark the color of our soup till this morning, when we had our breakfast about daylight. It was just black with the moldy flour, but we found it very good. Nothing was too bad for us to eat. We were feeling good and fresh in the morning, and expecting to make good time in traveling. I took my share of the flour, about two pounds, and gave Mr. Wallace about six or seven pounds, stuck fast on the bag. He told me to take more, but I would not take any more. I said, I will trust in getting some game, as I would get to the wood country soon. Before we parted, I read the 67th Psalm. God be merciful unto us, and bless us, and cause his face to shine upon us, that thy way may be known upon the earth, thy saving health among all nations. Let the people praise thee, O God, let all the people praise thee. O let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for thou shalt judge the people righteously, and govern the nations upon earth. Let the people praise thee, O God, let all the people praise thee. Then shall the earth yield her increase, and God, even our God, shall bless us. God shall bless us, and all the ends of the earth shall fear him. Then I read a thanksgiving prayer. Almighty God, Father of all mercies, we, thine unworthy servants, do give thee most humble and hearty thanks for all thy goodness and loving kindness to us and to all men. We bless thee for our creation and preservation and all the blessings of this life, but above all for thine inestimable love and the redemption of the world by our Lord Jesus Christ, for the means of grace and for the hope of glory. And we beseech thee, give us that due sense of all thy mercies, that our hearts may be unfeignedly thankful, and that we shew forth thy praise not only with our lips, but in our lives, by giving up ourselves to thy service, and by walking before thee in holiness and righteousness all our days, through Jesus Christ our Lord. 
to whom with thee and the Holy Ghost be all honour and glory, world without end. Amen. Then I told him what to do, for him not to leave the river, but to follow the river. I was afraid he might sometime leave the river and wouldn't be able to find the river again and lose his way. And if he gets to Hubbard, and Hubbard yet alive, if he gets a little stronger by this flower, should he wish to come on, do the same, follow the river near all the time, because if I happen to get down safe, and if I am too weak to come up myself when I send up help, I shall tell them which side of the river to follow, and they will surely meet you. We found sorry to part, not knowing if we would meet again, but we must try and help Hubbard and do all we can for him. Wallace starts off on our back trail, and I started towards Grand Lake. We said, Goodbye, and God be with you till we meet again, to each other. We parted on a barren hill and could see each other for some time. We would walk just a few yards and sing out to each other, Goodbye. This we kept on till out of sight and some distance apart. It snowed very hard all day, and couldn't hardly see any distance. In the afternoon I killed a porcupine. How I wished I could give some to the boys. Wednesday 21st had snowed heavy all night, and made heavy traveling without snowshoes, and the snow above my knees. Today I saw a caribou and got a shot at him with my pistol. In the evening I killed another porcupine. I thought, I shall be able to get out to Grand Lake now if the snow don't get too deep for me. Thursday 22nd. Snowing very hard again and cold. I made a fire at noon and tried to patch my shoe packs, but I couldn't spare time. I walked with only my socks on in the afternoon and made poor time, as the country very rough and the snow very deep. I tried to make a straight road to make it short to Grand Lake. During the day, though, feeling very tired and would like to have a rest. If I stopped even for five minutes, lots of things would come into my mind and would have to start on again. At night it isn't so bad, because I try to make myself believe because it is night, therefore I cannot travel. Friday 23rd, more snow again. In the afternoon got mild, and being so much snow on the trees it began to drop. It was worse than any rain, and the brush so thick to go through, and at last it began to rain. I was soaked to the skin, and the snow very deep. My hands were always so cold without mitts, and traveling in such a rough country, and falling down often into the snow and rocks, and cutting my hands on the rocks. I at last cut part of the sleeves off my undershirt, and with a string tied one end, and slipped them on my hands for mitts. Several times that day I had the notion of giving up, as I could not get on at all in the deep snow. I thought it was impossible to get through. Then again I would try and make my way out. I came to the place where we had left the coffee and milk. I found the coffee. The lid was off and the can was full of ice. I took the ice out, and underneath of the ice the coffee was. I broke some off and made some coffee, but it did not hardly taste like coffee at all. All the strength was out, as it had been in water for a short time. The milk I could not find. That evening I killed four partridges. The weather turned clear and cold, and I was wet to the skin. It was late when I had to stop for the night, and did my best in trying to dry my things the best way I could, and hard to get wood, for I had no axe. Saturday 24th. In the evening I came to the place where we had left the lard. I was very glad to find it. It was about three pounds of lard in a pail. I had some porcupine and a few partridges yet, as I would try and save some ahead for my way out, and the bones of the porcupine I carried with me, for I didn't throw the bones away, as it will make good broth if I get out of grub and don't get more game. I also had the flour yet, because I was saving it when my porcupine was done, and the porcupine bones with little flour will last me for a while. In the evenings I would talk to myself like as if someone with me, and plan to start off again as soon as daylight, and try to make so many miles, just to cheer myself. After I left Mr. Wallace, when coming along, after I killed the porcupine and some partridges, at night my fire I would have it in a long style, and just lie near the side of it, and whatever I had, some porcupine or partridge in my little bundle, I would put it for my pillow for fear some animal might carry it away. My pistol I would keep it handy, and then talk to myself and say, if some wolves should come along tonight they would make short work of me, but I guess I might just as well get killed by them as to starve. But anyway, I would just make that first fellow jump a little with my pistol. My little pistol was only twenty-two caliber. 
Every evening I always read a chapter, and every morning at just break of daylight, and when I got a little stronger after getting some game, strong enough to raise my voice, I always sung a part of a hymn. In the evening I would read first, then sing. Lead, kindly light, amid the encircling gloom, lead thou me on. The night is dark, and I am far from home, lead thou me on. Keep thou my feet, I do not ask to see the distant scene, one step enough for me. And in the morning, after I read, I would sing. Come to me, Lord, when first I wake, as the faint lights of morning break, bid purest thoughts within me rise, like crystal dewdrops to the skies. Sunday 25th was snowing again. In the evening I killed four more partridges. Snow very deep and made poor time, and high mountains to go over, but I thought I would get out to Grand Lake early in the morning. Monday 26th I got out to Grand Lake about ten o'clock, and was very, very glad to get out again to the lake, but was very much disappointed in the afternoon. I came along the south shore of the lake, and thinking I would make good time from there now to Northwest River, and I would only follow the shore of the lake to Northwest River, and besides no mountains to go over. I went about two miles and came to a river which made me feel very bad about it, and I did not know how I could ever get across, and could not make a raft without an axe. I thought I would try anyway to make a raft, if I could only get wood to make a raft with. I followed the river up. The banks were so high, and the swift current runs so swift along the steep banks, and the river very deep. I could not drop a log in without it float right away, and also came to another branch. This river branches off in two. I tried all afternoon to cross at the main river so I would have only one river to cross, but I could not there, as near the lake I would have two rivers to cross at the forks. I gave up and went down near the lake again. The ice was floating down the river, a rapid near the lake. I thought it might not be very deep. Then, seeing that I could not do any better, I thought I would wade out a piece, and the rest I would swim to the other shore. I started out, and up to my waist before I got any distance out, and the floating ice coming against me, and the cramps began to take on the legs, that I was obliged to turn and just got out to shore in time. I stood for some time thinking that I would never be able to cross, and that I would be sure to starve there. It got dusk and I started a fire. I was very, very cold and had something to eat. I was troubled very much and could not forget the river, and the ice floating and rubbing against the shore made things worse, to hear that sound all night, and thinking if I only had a canoe I could get to Northwest River tomorrow. It was yet forty miles to the post-Northwest River. Tuesday, 27th, as soon as daylight I tried to wade across again the same place, but things happened the same. Along the lake lots of driftwood. I thought I'd better make a raft if I could. It was blowing very heavy from the west. I got my raft made. My tump line I made two pieces to tie the four corners of the raft, and my leather belt I made another piece, and a piece of small salmon twine I had at the other corner. I got a long pole so as to be sure and touch bottom with it all the way across, as I was afraid the swift current would take me out into the lake and the heavy sea would swamp me. My raft was too small, and when I got on it I sunk down quite a bit. I shoved out and came to the strong current, and the tide and the ice overcame me and took me out to the lake. When the current took me out into the lake, then the wind caught me and carried me. It got so deep I could not find bottom with my pole. I had a mind to jump from the raft, but I knew if I did I would surely get drowned, so I thought I might just as well try to stay on. My raft was breaking up. Piece by piece would float away. So I got down on my knees and tried to keep the pieces together, and the sea would just cover me. For about two hours I stayed on the raft, and sure it was my finish. Finally, after a while, the wind drove me just near a point. It was a long point, and I knew I could touch the bottom with my pole. I took my pole and just hardly got ashore. Grand Lake runs near the east and west is over forty miles long, and from one to four miles wide, and very deep, up to sixty fathom of water, and for the least wind makes a very heavy sea. At this point where I got ashore I was more than glad, but the other branch yet to cross. I came to the branch and followed it up quite a bit. This branch is much larger than the first. It was very hard to get wood to make a raft, no drift, 
I managed to shove some half-rotten stumps down. It took me some time to get enough from my raft, and not a stitch dry about me, just wringing wet, and would not make a fire till I got across the other branch. I built my raft on newly frozen ice, just near the open stream, and then broke the ice around and with a long pole worked my way across. This raft was much larger than the first, and out of the water where I stood. Oh, but I was so proud of that raft, and talking to myself all the time, and telling myself what a fine raft it was, and I was so proud of my raft. I got across safe and without much trouble after all. It was nearly sunset. I thought I'd better make my fire and found I was nearly safe. I would dry up and make a good early start in the morning, and would get nearly to the post the next day. I picked out a place for the night and shot three partridges right there. It was near a point where I was, and round the point run a deep bay. I thought maybe another river run out from there, and just to see if I could see any river I run to the point. When I got to the point I seeing a small boat within 100 yards from me, and of course to make sure I run to see it, thinking it would come handy to me and I could sail to the post. Before I came near it a child screamed out near the opposite of me in the bush. I cannot tell how I felt. I just run the direction I heard the sound. The next, the roof of a house I saw. Then I came on a trail. I saw a girl with a child outside of the door. As soon as she saw me she run in and a woman came out. I sung out to her before I came to her. Meeting me she looked so scared. Then I shook hands with her and told her where I came from. She took me in the house and told me to sit down. But I was... Well, I could not say how I was and how glad I was. After I had some tea and bread I went for my little bundle and the partridges I shot. When I got back a bed was fixed up for me and a shift of dry clothes. She did not know what to think of me when first seeing me, and also being all wet and nearly barefooted. She was the wife of Donald Blake. When I came there at Donald's I had six partridges and a piece of porcupine and about half the flour I started off with, and all the bones of the porcupine that I carried along with me. End of section 20